welcome to a very special episode of Doghouse, which is actually Welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we are watching Hedwig and the Angry Inch. A transgender punk rock girl from East Berlin tours the U.S. with her band as she tells her life story and follows the former lover slash bandmate who stole her songs. Okay, we're going to get into the problem with that synopsis later. Yeah. <laughs> but we have a guest. We do have a guest. David, who is our guest? Our guest is Angel, the creator of To Have and To Hold, and resident voice actor extraordinaire Angel. Welcome to the show. Hello. Glad to be here. Thank you so much for coming and talking. Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Of course. So we're doing this movie for a couple of reasons. One, David's never seen it. Nope. It's a musical, so uh, it's a double whammy because David historically hates musicals. Oh. Yeah. And we cover Riverdale on our podcast, The Doghouse. And this year, their musical is going to be Hedwig and the Angry Inch. So, like, it's a perfect opportunity. I'm still very interested to see how that goes. <laughs> I am very nervous about what's going to happen. Yeah. that I, I personally haven't seen Riverdale, but, like, I've seen stuff about Riverdale and heard uh-huh. about it. So I'm yeah. just very intrigued to see how this goes down. Having seen every episode, <laughs> the anxiety is high. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that I freaking loved what they did with Heathers last year. They mm-hmm. did a great job. Heathers was so perfect tonally and really furthered the story and was great. Mm -hmm. Gave amazing, beautiful character moments. Um, However, they've made all of their queer characters on Riverdale trash humans. Oh, no. That's not a good combination with this movie. Exactly. Because it deals with very messy gay history stuff. Mm -hmm. That's Oh, I don't really see how they're going to handle that well. I'm very nervous. Oh, boy. I'm very nervous. Okay. But we're talking about Hedwig today. We are. This is our Hedwig podcast. Yay. <laughs> Not our Riverdale podcast. So this movie came out in 2001. It had a $6 million budget. It only grossed $3.6 million. Did not make any money, but it quickly gained a cult following. Mm-hmm. It won Best Director and the Audience Awards at Sundance. And then it won the Best Directorial Debut Awards at the National Board Review, the Gotham Awards, and the Los Angeles Film Critics Associations. And it earned John Cameron Mitchell. I'm going to screw up his name so many times. (laughs) It's just going to happen. It won him a Golden Globe nomination for Best Actor in a Motion Picture Musical or Comedy. Hmm. So, like, almost every award that this film got nominated for, it won. Nice. So it got it got a ton of recognition in that way. Before it was the film, um, it was a musical at the Jane Street Theater. And John Cameron Mitchell and Stephen Trask, they created this character of Hedwig. And Mitchell donned the drag for the first time speaking and telling the story. And so they did that for two years before they ever did the film. So it was a, it was a musical before it was the film. And then after the movie, it toured Europe, toured a little bit of the U.S., and then in 2014, it got the full official Broadway debut. It was considered a revival at that point, and that was starring Neil Patrick Harris and Lena Hall. And then it got the Tony Awards for that. Hmm. So that's kind of like the timeline of where this is, because it it's kind of resurgence the last couple of years. Which makes sense why Riverdale would be picking it up now. Right. Yeah. So, David, why haven't you seen this? 2001, I remember hearing about this. 
and I think just wasn't a movie I necessarily would have sought out to see. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something that I was like, no, I won't see that. I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting. But I wasn't ever really that into musicals and stuff. Mm-hmm. And this was not something that anybody ever went to me and was like, you have to see this. Like from that time on, this was something that I heard was like, oh, yeah, this is a pretty cool thing. And then I tried to listen to the musical, to the recordings a couple of times, mm-hmm. and it just didn't capture me. And I think that's because there is an element of the visual storytelling of the story that is desperately necessary for it. Like just hearing the music on its own, you don't get the full picture of what's being told. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so it's just something that whenever I sort of engaged with it, I was like, eh, it's just, I feel like it's for me. And I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it was very, very wrong. <laughs> Angel, what what about you? What? How did you come to this musical, and how, what is what is your feeling about this film? So I hadn't even like really heard anything about it until I saw it. So like, mm-hmm. I was born in 1997, so I was very young when it came out. So it just wasn't really a blip on my radar at all. And then uh, in town, we have a pretty like active LGBT scene and like community in this smaller town that I live in now. And so they were doing a screening of Hedwig and the Angry Itch and having sort of a panel discussion afterwards. And so I volunteer at the art center every once in a while. So I think I was volunteering that night for the screening. And when you volunteer, you also get to go in and watch. So it was just sort of completely going in blind and just watching it. And it Definitely captured my interest. I saw this probably, it was, I, I want to say it was 2002. So not long after it had come out, I was at a friend of a friend's house, had never heard of it. Mm-hmm. And I remember the reason we were watching it was friend of the friend was in love with it, obsessed <laughs> with it, was singing the songs nonstop. And that friend was the first person I'd ever met that was transgender. Mm-hmm. That person was actively talking about saving up for having an operation for wanting to go through that transition and it was i found them the whole thing fascinating Mm -hmm. and i was just i remember watching this movie and just being like okay okay i okay all right like just i was fascinated (laughs) by everything Mm -hmm. and i had no clue what was going on oh yeah (laughs) no clue Mm -hmm. little baby queer diana no clue what's going on internally with me no mm. clue going on with anybody else was like, okay, all right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but really love the movie. I was like, this movie's great. Yeah. These songs are fabulous. And I don't think I watched it again until college. Yeah. Then like I was becoming more of a movie snob. I was like, oh, this movie's still really good. Like this movie's <laughs> great. I understand a little bit more what's happening in this movie. And then I, I hadn't watched it again until the other day. And I was like, man, these songs are fabulous. Mm-hmm. This movie... This movie's great. Yeah, I rewatched it again uh, this morning just so I could have a refresher of like everything that, you know, happened in the movie. And like, I really enjoyed it. And I think the second time around, it allows you to sort of understand more what's going on because it's, there's a lot to take in. It, a lot happens very quickly. So I think second watch, I think it is easier to understand what's going on a little bit more the second time around. And I found myself appreciating the humor and just the characters mm-hmm. a lot. Oh, it is it is very funny. Oh, yeah. Hedwig is a stand-up comedian, mm-hmm. which I adore. 
<laughs> Although for me, it was it was very Pagliacci. Like it was very tragic. Oh yeah, it through oh, the like, first time. Oh, oh yeah, very it's tragic. It's horribly tragic, but also just it has a sense of humor that's just amazing. You're going through this whole journey. Oh with, yeah, with her that there's that's very much a tragedy, but there's also like oh like this I don't know there's something very like hopeful at the end of it that I I do appreciate. Oh yeah, I love the end. Like the first few times I watched it, I was like I don't fully get this, but okay. And now I'm like I totally get this now. I yeah. love it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And yet it's still totally open for interpretation. Oh it's yeah, fabulous. Mm-hmm. I'm so picky, and yet I don't know that I would change anything. Mm-hmm. I don't think you could. Because it's such a specific story being told. Yeah. It's the way with a lot of personal stories like this that are told in in movies. Mm -hmm. I don't know that there's any way you could change things. You might be able to fault a movie in Mm -hmm. certain ways, but it's not like you would tell that director, yeah, but you need to go change these five things about your movie. It's like, no, this is something intensely personal to you and what you made. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't don't think I could stand there and justify anything different than what John Cameron Mitchell did. Yeah. The story is very economical in the way it, it what it does. Well, it moves at warp speed. It it does oh, move yeah. very fast. It has a jukebox musical feel, and like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna use this song to tell a story, but the song actually tells a story and moves you on to the next bit. Yeah, in a way that things like a Mamma Mia right. rap oh. does not. <laughs> It's a rock opera. Yeah, it's it's more very of a rock much opera. a rock opera. I mean, this. Yeah, yeah. I I couldn't help not comparing this a little bit to Tommy because there are some very explicit similar themes in Tommy. And then it's just the fact of it being a rock opera. Rock opera is its own separate thing Mm -hmm. because it is, it's weird in that it moves and tells its story like an opera, but it it always feels like a jukebox musical because these are individual rock songs that you're Mm -hmm. listening to. Mm -hmm. It is very much an operatic style where the songs are specifically telling a story Mm -hmm. and involving this overall thing as opposed to creating a story around songs. Mm -hmm. Right. It very much is in that vein. and I love it so much. (laughs) (laughs) So let's get into our writer. Which so we've got two people credited as writer. It's John Cameron Mitchell for the book and the screenplay, and then Stephen Trask for the book. John Cameron Mitchell. This is his first credit. <laughs> his first credit. So after this, he did Short Bus. Then he did a short called Lady Grey London. Then Lady Dior, which is also a short. And then Agent Provocateur, Control Yourself, which was a music video. And then How to Talk to Girls at Parties, Anthem, which is a TV series called Homunculus. So. He hasn't written a whole lot more, mm-hmm. so this is this is not a bad first outing. Yeah, <laughs> not not too shabby. It's not a bad first outing, but I mean, again, he'd been performing this. He'd been doing this for this two show years for at this two point. years beforehand, right? Yeah, but to be able to take that and turn it into a screenplay. Oh yeah, there's a huge jump from like something on stage to something on a screen. In regards to our IMDb. Synopsis for this movie mm-hmm. that references that Hedwig is transgender. Mm-hmm. Mitchell has refuted that. Yeah. In a Toronto Star interview, Mitchell explained that Hedwig is not a trans woman, but is genderqueer as a character. She's mm-hmm. more than a woman or a man. Quote, he said, she's a gender of one, and that is accidentally so beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's 
That's what he has said about it. I mean, that's a point that's brought up throughout the movie. Yeah. And in at least one song explicitly and several others hinted at. Yeah. So um, IMDb, get your shit together and let's fix this description. (laughs) Yeah. That's definitely something that like when I went to that first screening that I saw of it, there was a trans woman like on the panel afterwards and she had specifically talked about how to her it wasn't really that relatable because it wasn't exactly like a trans story like a trans woman and Mm -hmm. i felt that as well like it definitely isn't a standard trans narrative because it was much more complex than that it wasn't like a story of like someone who like she was actively trying to become a woman like to live her truth none of that is sort of discussed it was all a lot of complex life choices that led her to becoming who she became exactly mm-hmm. it's first and foremost a queer story mm-hmm. yes yeah and hitting at universal themes in queerdom mm-hmm. yeah the movie is definitely like completely inseparable from lgbt history and just so many themes that just are very interlocked with the experience of being gay and existing in that sort of life. Oh, absolutely. I can just look at that synopsis and go, that was written in 2001. Mm-hmm. And like, just in the last six months, what I as a person have learned about gender has exploded. <laughs> <laughs> and like, just watching this movie, I was like, oh, if I'd watched this movie two years ago versus watching it now, how I would explain Hedwig would change drastically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah, I need to be get your shit together. Let's change some things, okay? Because <laughs> n- that shit needs to be updated. I'm, I'm pretty sure we can do that because I think <laughs> IMDb's run that way. We could just go tell them to do yeah, it. Yeah, I think it might also be tied to like what the actual studio and the DVD says about the yeah. movie. Yeah, and I mean that that is one thing about this movie. Mm-hmm. It's of its time. Mm-hmm. That's not a bad thing in this case. Because it it explores a whole bunch of LGBTQ history. Mm -hmm. It explores a bunch of of themes and issues that were being dealt with at that time. Mm -hmm. But also, if you told this exact same story today, and I don't know about the musical, I feel like you would make different choices. Mm -hmm. Not saying that in a bad way, just saying that in a, I think they were telling a story that very specifically resonated at that point. Yeah, like if that story were to happen in today's society as opposed to the time when it was written, it would be a different narrative because different things were happening. I think the one thing in the story that always caught me a little, like it felt unnecessary now was the Berlin Wall thing. Mm -hmm. And it is a huge symbol, but now it does not have the same weight and significance as it did for a generation that was going to see this musical. Right. But like for... Mitchell's generation, they remember watching on TV yeah. that wall coming down. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm old enough to remember people talking about it. I remember a friend coming back from, like, she went on a trip to Europe, and she came back with a piece of the Berlin Wall. Wow. And that was, like, a really cool thing. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, oh, okay. Like, I have no concept of that. I yeah. was probably, like- eight or nine at that oh, time oh yeah like i like the berlin wall came down in 91 mm-hmm. 89 89 okay in 89 i was five i was two <laughs> five. yeah two yeah. with zero concept of what a wall is whereas yeah, like no. now we are currently living through what will be a lot of generations first global thing that they will remember yeah, yeah. so 
okay, so like when this musical gets done in 15 years, <laughs> this current situation may be the cultural reference that they changed the Berlin Wall to. Interesting. I mean, maybe, or you just, you find ways to tweak the story to relate it to that time. Yeah. Like you still mm. have it set at that time, but you now relate it for an audience to get. Yeah. Maybe adding more context so that people who aren't as familiar with history can more understand the situation. I feel like they do a decent job of just sort of like doing a quick rundown of what was going on and Hedwig mm. explaining like the history. So you wouldn't just be like, I don't know what the Berlin Wall is or what's going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we could have used a little bit more context, but yeah, I'm old enough to know. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it definitely does have an air of like, this is more of a recap. You know what happened. You know the situation <laughs> surrounding this. <laughs> so yeah, we're we're pro uh, John Cameron's Mitchell's writing. Mm -hmm. Then our, our second writer is the book, but it's Stephen Trask is the composer. But he's actually composed a lot of stuff for film. Before this, he composed the music for Happy Hour, which was a short. After this, he did Pray for Rock and Roll, Camp, The Station Agent, Whether You Like It or Not, The Story of Hedwig, which is the documentary they made for this, A Hole in One and Good Company, The Savages in the Land of Women, Feast of Love, Sex Drive, Cirque du Freak, Little Fockers. Oh, Cirque du Freak. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, he did the music for that. Ah. Lovelace, Admission, and Match in 2014. That's his last composer credit. Camp makes so much fucking Ca sense. Camp makes so much sense. <laughs> which I have not seen. I've never seen it. I've seen bits and pieces because if you did theater in the early to mid 2000s, people watched it near fucking constantly. <laughs> and we have a love of Anna Kendrick, so. That too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which, so we need to fix that. That's on the list. <laughs> Uh, it's gonna happen. Uh, more musicals, damn it. <laughs> Which will just lead to more musicals. I know. Best. I mean, with any musical, there are some songs that are just kind of like, okay, that's a song, great. But there are some songs in this musical that I have cannot stop singing. <laughs> yeah. It, again, approaching it without the visual context, mm -hmm. without the style and the the sort of vision they were going for. Because, like, if if I'm just listening to those songs, you know. I listened to the first song and I was like, this is not my jam. If you're just listening to it on it on its own, it almost feels like a Tommy ripoff. Okay. Like if you don't have that context and weight behind it and you're not like super invested, if you just turn it on the first time, you're like, I don't get it. Seeing it, getting the full story, those songs make so much deeper and profound sense. They're way deeper than anything The Who ever fucking wrote <laughs> because there's so much packed into those songs mm -hmm. and it might it might be one of the only detriments i think the songs that feel that feel like they slog the most are the ones that have the most they're trying to talk about mm -hmm. like it's a beautiful song but the song where he's talking about the two people in the moon oh and yeah that whole story mm -hmm. it just does go on forever yeah because they packing so much imagery into it yeah. that eventually you're just like Okay, but can we wrap it up? Like, let's yeah. get to the next part. But it's still so good. I know. I mean, I don't think it's any surprise that my favorite song is Wicked a Box. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. It's so catchy. Mm -hmm. Suddenly I 
I mean, it's catchy. It's one of the best sequences in the show, in the whole movie. And it's also, like, it's a great sequence. And it's also very much like, you know what? Just, like, pick yourself up. Let's go. Like, <laughs> you like you can become whoever you want to be. Yeah, just like, well, this is the situation. I guess we're moving forward from here. Yeah, it, well, it's, it's, yeah, it's <laughs> a great, like, anthem, if you will, which is mm-hmm. funny because a bunch of artists did covers of the songs and they called it Wig in a Box. <laughs> so that's what they did, which I loved. Mm-hmm. And then also every time I start to sing Wig in a Box in my head, it turns into fuckload of cats from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend <laughs> because they have a very similar hook. So it sounds similar in my head. Yeah, for me, the music isn't necessarily like my taste in music like I think if I had just listened to the music divorced from the musical I probably wouldn't have taken much interest either it wouldn't have really hooked me but in the musical itself like I enjoy the songs a lot Mm -hmm. and they definitely are a very valuable part of the story and I think do very well what they're supposed to do yes this is one of those stories where you cannot remove the music from it and have the story be as impactful Mm-hmm. I feel like that goes across the board. You can't remove one element yeah. from this movie, true, and it really work in any form or fashion. Uh, yeah, which, which is to its credit. Yeah. Oh, That's yeah. Not it's, always true. Yeah. For this one, it just means it has really sound writing. It's all yes. woven together very intricately and meaningfully. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the other side of it too is like just trying to listen to it for the first time and not knowing that there's the whole East Berlin backstory. That he was listening to rock and roll by Lou Reed and David Bowie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like not knowing any of that. Right. Of course I didn't get it. Yeah. When that's explained, I go, oh yeah, all these are fucking like Bowie and Lou Reed. S- yeah. Early 70s proto-punk songs. Yeah. Like, okay, now I get it. Mm-hmm. It was like Angry Inch is a Stooges song. This one is like a Bowie ballad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It all lines up once you've got the context there. Yeah. Yeah. It's just good. All right. Our direction, which is also John Cameron Mitchell. So we're going to talk about his directing credits. <laughs> uh, here's a hint. Everything he wrote, he directed. What? Whoa. Yeah. So here's some other stuff he also directed. Rabbit Hole. Hmm. He also directed a couple episodes of Nurse Jackie, the happiest TV series pilot. He directed an episode of Glow and then all the stuff that he wrote. So he's done some TV. So he hasn't done a ton of directing. Mm-hmm. But again, this was his first thing he ever directed. And man, did he do a good job. Yeah. <laughs> like, so the wig in a box sequence is gorgeous. That whole flashback of the young version of him dancing, I fucking love that. Mm-hmm. Cracks me up. Oh, yeah. He had to play in the oven. So that shot of him, his head in the oven, and then mm-hmm. grown up Hedwig in the oven, and then the camera going all the way around. Mm-hmm. I loved that. Yeah. It, it it just did so much. Yeah, his directing was definitely very good. And I'm sure you could write essays on essays, just unpacking all the different directing choices and like what they mean in terms of the story. Mm-hmm. It, it's true. It's so it's so wild mm-hmm. because it, it feels like there are so many moments where it's like no normal film director would ever make this choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nobody would make this choice. Nobody would make this choice. But also it always feels specific and to the point of what's being told. And right. Yeah. And absolutely right. Nothing, there's not a shot that feels wrong or like, this is weird. Yeah. Like nothing feels like, 
Nothing feels weird. No, everything feels like it was chosen for a specific purpose, which is all the more interesting to me because of how buck wild it is. Yeah, especially near the end. Like, it's very ambiguous, everything that's going on near the end, but it all still Mm -hmm. feels very specific and meaningful. Uh So you know that there's meaning behind it. Sure. And you can tell it's still the same director because sometimes when it starts to get a little weird and different, you're like, hmm, did this change hands at some point? Mm -hmm. And that did not happen. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about our cast. All right. The 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 man, the myth, the legend, John Cameron Mitchell. Uh-huh. Kel Surprise. Uh, <laughs> as Hedwig. Before this, he does have some acting credits. He was on American Playhouse on TV, on The Equalizer on TV, on The Twilight Zone. Oh. Uh, he was in Band of the Hand, One More Saturday Night. He was in uh, the ABC After School special, A Desperate Exit. Hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, he was in Girl 6. Party Girl on TV, and David Searching. After this, he was in his short film, Short Bus. He was on the television series Girls and Vinyl. He was in My Entire High School, Sinking into the Sea. He's on the television series Mozart in the Jungle. Uh, He's on his show Anthem Homunculus. He was on The Good Fight, and he is currently on the Hulu series Shrill. Hmm. So he just pops up for appearances. He's He's a regular on Shrill. Okay. So how do we feel about his performance as Hedwig? I think he did well. I mean, it's Im- it's impossible to know how anyone else could do this at that point. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of hard to say you didn't know what you were doing. I-, I think what we can say confidently is like, if he understood the character that well to write it and direct it the way he did, mm-hmm. then he clearly also knew what he was doing acting. Mm-hmm. I-, I think the one thing that that I appreciate about it Going into this, when you look at the posters, you're thinking, okay, crazy rock star. It's like Hedwig is not really that. Mm-hmm. Hedwig is very German. Yeah. Yeah. Very restrained. Mm-hmm. And it's a far more subtle performance than I was expecting, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is to its credit because it means that he's able to, when things get really intimate, go much, much deeper. Well, and he understand like, and especially being both the lead performer and the director, he understands the subtlety that's needed between those different shots. I'm like, I need to be really big here. I need to be really mm-hmm. small here. Mm-hmm. Like those scenes when, especially in Wig in a Box, like when he's playing stunned, mm-hmm. like in just like, kind of just like, what do I do now? It, it's so good. Well, his scenes with Michael Pitt. Oh. Oh. They're both amazing together. Yeah. But he is just so good. He is at once lovestruck, but at the same time, incredibly cynical. Hedwig, when Eve was still inside Adam, they were in paradise. That's right, honey. When, when she was separated from him, that's when paradise was lost. So when she enters him again, paradise will be regained. However you want it, honey, just kiss me while we do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And waiting for this boy to let him down. Oh, well, that's that guarded. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's beautiful in all the layers that he's building into the character, mm-hmm. which again, I don't think you get if you hadn't been doing this for two solid years beforehand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Like he he definitely had the confidence of like, I can do Hedwig in my sleep. Mm-hmm. So I'm now I can do Hedwig. On camera. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And he was the writer, correct? Yes. Yeah. Cause I, I did some reading on him as well, like in preparation, like I believe from what I read, he's a homosexual man himself. And like, yes. originally he like wrote from sort of the perspective of Tommy and just sort of, I think he put a lot of himself into the story and a lot of his own experiences and feelings. So I think, mm -hmm. of course, like he would be a good choice for like portraying the lead because he understands it on a very like personal level. Mm -hmm. So it's not like an autobiographical movie, but I think no. it definitely resonates his experiences and a very real and human emotion that he understands very well. I don't think this works as a later production with other people playing Hedwig mm -hmm. without him laying this groundwork. No. Yeah. Because without that, you know, any other actor coming in here, you have to somehow get across all of that subtlety. Yeah. Either in directly in the way you write it, which means you've taken it out of being subtle and now you've had to bludgeon someone over the head with it. Mm -hmm. Or you've got to have somebody you trust that well to know you that well to be able to build in those different performances. Right. It's just like, especially with it being a thing that, you know, only a certain few people knew about until this movie came out. I don't think anybody else could have performed this role at the time. Yeah. It would have been so hard to coach somebody through this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it just would have been really hard. I, I haven't seen any information about an understudy for him on the off-Broadway version of the show prior to this film, so I don't know if he had that. Mm -hmm. That would have been the only other person who could have done this on film. Mm -hmm. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. He's great, and I love his voice. His voice is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. He was required to wear so much makeup for such a long period of time that after his daily lunch break, he'd go to his trailer shave off his five o'clock shadow through his makeup and then go have his makeup touched up just so he can return to shooting. Amazing. <laughs> Which makes so much sense because oh, yeah, yeah, drag makeup is no joke. Oh, yeah. That shit be thick. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's amazing. I love yeah. it. Yeah. I think it's fun as an art form, but it does like lend itself to dangerous territories if like you get so into like doing it daily that like it just warps your perception of yourself. Oh, sure. I think if you if you can like approach it with a very like fun and like intentional like as an art form just for fun sort of thing then it's amazing. What I really love about Hedwig is the makeup is not solely drag. It's also super inspired by mm -hmm. those rock stars that yeah. he's listening to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like it is there's a drag element to it but there is also very much a Lou Reed David Bowie element to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where it's like Hedwig is something completely different. Mm -hmm. So let's go on to the other most amazing voice in the whole show, Miriam Shore as Yitzhak. Before this, she was in Flushed, Entropy, Let It Snow, Then Came You on television, and Bedazzled. After this, she was in Inside Schwartz on TV, Second Born, Pounds, a few TV spots. Uh, she was in Short Bus, Big Day on television, Swing Town, Damages, Mildred Pierce, the uh, miniseries on television, Good Christian Bitches on TV. She was on The Good Wife. She was in The Americans on television. And she has most recently been on the television series Younger as Diana Trout, which I love. And she'll be in the upcoming movie Lost Girls. I love Miriam Shore so much. Every time I see her, I'm so freaking excited. And anytime <laughs> she sings, which she's gotten to sing a few times on Younger, and I love that show, 
I get so excited. <laughs> she, she has a phenomenal voice. It's just, uh, I love her. And her character is so sad. Oh. Her, she she just wants to be the star. So sweet. She's She just wants to be the star. She wants to be Hedwig. Mm-hmm. Such a lovable Eastern European rocker. <laughs> I mean, she's great. Yeah. I wish there was more of her. Mm-hmm. I think she did a great job in her role. There is a balancing act of, I. there's a little too much Tommy and too little Yitzhak. Mm-hmm. One of the things that doesn't get explained very well in the movie is why they're together. Yeah. Uh-huh. And like, one of the things that's not explained is that Yitzhak was a drag queen. Mm-hmm. And so that's part of like the blurred gender line. So Yitzhak, Yitzhak is always played by a woman. Mm-hmm. as part of the whole thing of like blurring that line and one of Hedwig's issues with Yitzhak is that she'll become more feminine than Hedwig and mm-hmm. therefore more successful than her which is mm-hmm. why like she's always yelling at him and like no you can't touch my wig and that's why it's such a big deal when Hedwig mm-hmm. gives her her wig at the end mm-hmm. yeah I didn't get any of that from the script yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, mm-hmm. it's 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 not a, it's in the musicals, but it's not in the movie very well. So yeah, like it's sort of there, like from a second time watching, like I can understand that, like the character, he definitely wants to pursue drag and like be his own sort of star. But sure, but yeah, definitely not the same like context and attention that like the rest of the story gets. It's more of just sort of I think just showing. Hedwig sort of lashing out and just sort of not dealing with things as well. And then eventually finally reconciling and being able to handle things better and do well by the people around him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just love her. I just love hearing her sing. I want to mm-hmm. more. <laughs> yeah. She's just good. I, I would love to see her in a, a Broadway musical. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then I have the list of the band members. We have Stephen Trask as Skitzv. <laughs> Theodor, Theodor Lysinski as Jacek, Rob Campbell as Krasinskov. It's 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 the it's the very Eastern European version of Kristoff. Yeah, <laughs> and then Michael Aronoff as Klotzko. Schlatko. Schlatko. Rob Campbell and Michael Aronoff have some credits, but almost nothing. So we're not going to get into them. But we see them throughout the whole movie. They deserve <laughs> a little bit of recognition. <laughs> we, they deserve to have their names read out. They're very adorable. <laughs> I, I do like the band. They're very cute. Mm-hmm. Like I just kind of like how they're like almost Greek chorus style around Hedwig all the time. Mm-hmm. Without saying anything. Nope. <laughs> Ordering pizza sometimes, but that's about it. Yeah. You know, warping a bra. <laughs> yeah. Did you, did you put a bra in a dryer? What? Did you put... A bra in a dryer. Yes. How many times do I have to tell you? You don't put a bra in a dryer. It warps. Please, it's a bra. You can have one of mine, please. Which I have, like, (laughs) I have yelled that at David so many times (laughs) for years. Mm Like, just as a joke, just like, you did mm-hmm. it, whoops. And then when we watched it, I was like, and now you know where that comes from. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. now I know. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, just because anytime we're doing laundry, it's like, you never put a dr- in a dryer, it whoops. See, I thought you were actually just mad at me. No. 
Turns out. Turns yeah. out. <laughs> just saying Hedwig. And years later, David sighs a huge breath of relief. I know I've explained that to you <laughs> multiple times. <laughs> it's a reference. Yeah. You'll get it one day. One day. And today that <laughs> today it came. <laughs> All right, next we have Andrea Martin as Phyllis Stein, their agent. She has been a voice actress in pretty much everything. Oh. Oh, she's a legend. She is a legend. She's amazing. Um, SCTV. I mean, come on. Yeah, well, she was in (laughs) SCTV, all of the versions of SCTV. Uh Uh-huh. And then she was a voice actress in pretty much everything, Earthworm Jim, Anastasia. Oh. Pinky, Elmira, and the Brain, Hercules, Superman, the animated series. After this, she was in the Woody Woodpecker TV show. She was in My Big Fat Greek Wedding. She did all the Jimmy Neutrons. She was in the Rugrats, Kim Possible. She was on Sesame Street. Wow. More recently, she did Difficult People. She did Great News. She's been on The Good Fight. Uh, She's also on Elena of Avalor. And her most recent credit is the Mickey Mouse Mixed Up Adventures. She does a voice on that. Wow. This this woman works constantly. I've loved her ever since I saw her on SCTV. She's 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 <laughs> fabulous. She's, she's fabulous in this. Such a good comedian. Mm-hmm. Well, and I love her in this. She does she doesn't pull focus. Nope. She does what she needs to do. And I love that she is like, Hedwig, we're done like I'm done with you. Like you don't need my help yeah. anymore. Oh, I was, yeah. I, love I was that. not ready for that scene at all. Yeah. It's like, oh, what you just did was wrong, and I am not gonna help you. Yeah, and I love how the story doesn't shy away from having the characters be very human and real and raw and, like, flawed as humans are. Like, Hedwig has just so much trauma and so much baggage that she's dealing with that, like, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't shy away from the fact that she isn't necessarily handling any of this in the proper way and she's hurting people as well, but... It's just very human, and I really appreciate stories and characters like that. Well, Hedrick has kind of become a monster. Yeah. In the way that they're dealing with their trauma. Right. And they have been they have been wronged. Oh, Absolute, yeah. Absolutely. They've been wronged in so many ways, but their way of dealing with it is to become a monster towards the people around them that love them and want to try to help them and right mm-hmm. some of those wrongs, especially with all this stuff with Tommy. And oh, it's yeah. It's just like, oh- we're no, we're done. We've yeah. had a limit with this abuse from you, Hedwig. Goodbye. With the stuff with Tommy as well, like there's the whole age thing, and I don't think Hedwig knew she was doing anything wrong per se, just because of how she was raised and everything that she's sure. dealt with. But she definitely, without a doubt, hurt Tommy and didn't handle anything with Tommy in the right way. So they very much hurt each other. And I like mm-hmm. How, like, near the end, when Tommy's singing, like, about how he was just a boy, mm-hmm. I like that it doesn't shy away from any of the bad that Hedwig did or any of the, mm-hmm. like, flaws in the people and all the mistakes. It's just, it embraces all of it wholeheartedly and pushes for embracing everything, flaws and all. I like that sort of raw approach to it instead of just trying to justify things as, you know, the protagonist did it so it's okay, or like, everything, this was okay. It just approaches all of it and addresses it realistically. Mm-hmm. Yes. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't add anything else to it. I mean, other than the fact that this is a character that almost always would be treated as tropey and hacky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In any lesser film, 
they would have just kept this publicist being a publicist. Uh Yeah. And instead, they had somebody who could play that trope and Mm -hmm. did it real well, and then on a dime turns and gives an incredibly dramatic line reading. She's very grounding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because like with just that one scene, it takes it from like, this is just, you know, the character that's helping out to like, this is a real person. This is someone who's like, she was helping Hedwig because she felt it was the right thing to do. And then suddenly that was no longer the right thing to do. So she's out of there. Uh, Next, we have Ben Mayer Goodman as Hansel at six years old. Before this, he was in Twice in a Lifetime, which was a television series. And then after this, he was in Empty which is a video short, and then Jodenheim as Loki, (laughs) which is also a short. He didn't do anything else. Mm -hmm. He is adorable. Yeah. Oh, he's so cute. That dancing sequence is Mm -hmm. just, that that kid just has rhythm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They found a cute kid with rhythm. Mm -hmm. It's just precious. The most ridiculous song underneath it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Loved it. Loved it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Next, we have Alberta Watson as Hansel's mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, before this, she was in Power Play in Praise of Older Women, Stone Cold Dead, a bunch of TV movies, Dirty Tricks, The Soldier, and then like some TV spots, Buck James on television, Hackers as Laura Murphy, Shoemaker, Sweet Angel Mine, The Sweet Hereafter, Seeds of Doubt, Desire, Deeply, La Femme Nikita on television. And then after this, she was in Tart, The Art of Woo, The Wild Dogs. Uh, the Newsroom on television, Show Me Yours, 24, Angel Eyes, The Lookout, The Border on television, and then the 2012 Nikita. So she's been in a lot of stuff. Yeah. I liked her. She's, you know, again, she's not in the movie very much. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I like how she's just pretty instantly loving towards her son. Mm-hmm. I don't love that she encourages this botched yeah. uh, sexual mutilation. I was going to mm-hmm. say, I don't know that That's, she's necessarily loving yeah, towards I her think, son. <laughs> I, th- I think she does a good job of portraying a mother who's like trying to do the right thing for her child, but also is struggling a lot in herself. So she is, she's trying, but she is also definitely not the it's, best influence herself, but doing sure. what she can to like try and give her child a good life. Her advice is definitely flawed. Oh, yeah. But it's coming from a a, pla- a loving place. Because, like, I think with, like, the first... I'm pretty sure it was, like, one of the first scenes of, like, her just blowing up at her husband and kicking him out because of what he did. Just, like, cements the fact that she's, like, trying her best and she does care deeply about her child. But they're in a very, like, difficult situation and, like very difficult economy where she's struggling as a single mother to Mm -hmm. try and provide a good life for her kid. And so I think when her son like came to her, like with this idea, she was just like, yeah, there's your chance for a better life. So we don't know if there's any other possible better route. So if this is the route you want to go, here's your option to go for it. Well, it's also a better life for her. I mean, it's, it's a very, yeah. Her perspective is is a very Eastern Bloc perspective. Yeah. Like, the point that got me that I thought was super funny is that it was like mm-hmm. so many people tried to get across the wall. She mm-hmm. went to East Germany right. because the communists would give her a job. Yeah. And then, like, you know, we see the postcard of her in sunny Czechoslovakia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's that, it is that thing of she absolutely loves her son. And mm-hmm. then she sees this moment where it's like, you can get out mm-hmm. and have a life that you want 
And I can take that and turn around and go have a better life too. Yeah. And there's a pragmatism when you are isolated. I mean, you know, hearing things about East Germany at the time, it was like, it felt like the end of the world every single day. Yeah. Like, they just thought the world was going to end. Mm-hmm. And so if you had the opportunity to at least get something slightly better for yourself, mm-hmm. do it now. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's the complicated nature of her character. Yeah. And I think she she's she's perfectly great doing that. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. She just feels like a tired East German mom. Yeah. Oh yeah. She she presents the emotion and the character so perfectly well. Next, we have Michael Pitt as Tommy Gnosis. Oh. Uh, before this, he was in 54, High Life, Mambo Cafe, Dawson's Creek on television, and Finding Forrester. After this, he was in Murder by Numbers, The Dreamers, The Village, Last Days, Perfect Partner, The Hawk is Dying, Delirious, Silk, Funny Games, Hugo, Boardwalk Empire on TV, I Origins, Rob the Mob, Hannibal on television, McAdam Stories, Criminal Activities, Criminal, Ghost in the Shell, Animals on television, The Last Days of American Crime, and You Can't Win. He was so young. Yeah. And obnoxious. <laughs> Next to John Cameron Mitchell, he's the second best part of this movie to me. Oh, yeah. He did an amazing job. <sighs> oh, uh-oh. Oh, no. I hate Michael Pitt. <laughs> oh. I just hate Michael Pitt. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just do. I find him oogie. <laughs> I just, I just, I, his face is so punchable to me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is. Um, Not as punchable as Jared Leto, but I get where you're going. It's fair. It's fair. It's fair. It's totally fair. Mm -hmm. His performance is good. I feel like I do need to state here that Stephen Trask provides his singing voice. Ah. That is not him singing. You you just got to call him out for it real quick. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I just I just need to make sure that we're not factoring that in terms of his performance because that's not him. No, mm. and I and I felt like <laughs> I felt like I gathered that when I heard it. I was like, that is not Michael Pitt's voice. <laughs> that feels like a little too mature and a little different to be his actual voice. Because mm-hmm. I've seen enough of him to be like, no, that's not you. Mm-hmm. But like, there is something undeniable about the chemistry between him and John Cameron Mitchell in those scenes. Mm-hmm. Those scenes could be really, really clunky if those two don't have the right kind of chemistry. Mm-hmm. Like they could just play so weird and awkward. And, you know, with the age thing, oh, yeah. It could also play off as just creepy. Instead, it plays off as real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you believe that he is this wide eyed teenager oh, who yeah. is confused as shit, mm-hmm. but is in love with Hedwig. Right. And in love with Hedwig as just a person, does not mm-hmm. care about any of Hedwig's baggage. It's just like, I'm in love with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then all of the surrounding stuff with that comes into play with how those two characters interact. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have the right actor with the right chemistry, that is going to go wrong so quickly. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's just the way those two were able to work together or if it's just the if it's just his acting ability but it works magnificently in this movie for me. Yeah, I think he also just does a really great job with that type of character of just the innocent wide-eyed teenager. He does a really good job of like I think sort of being a foil for Hedwig of just contrasting like here's this kid who like does have a little bit of his own baggage but 
overall just seems to come from privilege and not having a lot of trauma himself and just being very naive to all of the struggles that Hedwig had to go through, not sharing that experience. And so just playing off of Hedwig and contrasting and just showing that difference. I think that plays very well with his acting and just the way he portrays him. (sighs) Uh, (laughs) You just can't get past the punch of (laughs) it. Well, in the DVD commentary, Mitchell mentions that Pitt was somewhat uncomfortable with their prolonged kissing scene, complaining about being scratched by Mitchell's stubble. (laughs) Mitchell also mentioned that Pitt would consume onion and garlic directly before shooting the scene. I think personally, I can sort of read that in like this situation, but I think that also works for the character in my perspective, because this is like a confused Christian teenager who's like just like coming into this scene. And I think at some level is more just looking for a mentor or someone to like guide him in this way, as opposed to like being in a relationship. He's too young to really know what he actually wants. So very confused and uncertain and I think a little bit uncomfortable, which I think does show and I think works for the character. In the montage of Hedwig giving Tommy his rock education, Tommy is seen wearing a Hotel Riverview t-shirt. The Hotel Riverview, New York, was the home of the original stage show for several years. Aww, that's fun trivia. Yeah. There we go. We could find some trivia. Some good stuff. <laughs> some cute stuff. Uh, and then we get to some R-pawns, random people of note. Uh, we have Maurice Dean Wint, who plays Sergeant Luther Robinson. Uh, he's in the movie for such a short period of time. Mm-hmm. But he's cute dude. Mm-hmm. He's been in some other stuff. And then we have Rosie O'Donnell <laughs> as <laughs> Rosie O'Donnell. Oh, good. Lover, lover of the stage. The footage of Hedwig on the Rosie O'Donnell show was shot when Hedwig and Angriance was still an off-Broadway musical as a pr- and this was just done as promotion for the show. And when Rosie holds up the Hedwig CD, it's a copy of the original Broadway cast, off-Broadway oh. cast recording. <laughs> yeah, those scenes, all of them, when I saw them, I was like, this feels like the old footage that you took while you're doing publicity. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> I was like, that's smart. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right, trivia. Trivia. Yitzhak is seen wearing a rent sweatshirt and later decides to audition for the role of Angel. Mm-hmm. In real life, John Cameron Mitchell was originally offered the role of Angel, but had to turn it down because he was doing Hedwig. Ah, good thing he was there to take up the role. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. The story depicted in The Origin of Love is from Plato's Symposium, Mm -hmm. in which Aristophanes gives a speech about love being a product of the need to reunite with one's other half after being split in two as punishment for conspiring to usurp the gods of Olympus. Yeah. So, like, that is an actual story. That is an actual story. And actually, it's funny, like, coming back to this movie right now, because I'm working on editing the next episode of my podcast, Having to Hold... In which that story I actually reference in the script. Yeah, so it's actually, it's a pretty plot relevant story. Like it's incorporated. So it's, yeah, it's just interesting just sort of coming back to that because I've been thinking about that story a lot because (laughs) of my writing. (laughs) That's awesome. Maggie Moore, who plays the woman singing Dolly Parton's I Will Always Love You. (laughs) <laughs> she played the role of Yitzhak in the stage version after Miriam Shore left the role. Uh, yeah. So that's a nice little extra, like, arpon. 
Mm-hmm. Hedwig's cape in the title sequence mimics the Berlin Wall, complete with the Yankees go home, graffiti on Hedwig's right side, and with me on Hedwig's left side. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Uh, the car wash gag in the Sugar Daddy number is a choreographic artifact from the original show. During the show's original run, there was a designated car wash chair and a celebrity audience member would be placed there. And at the 2014 Tony Awards, Neil Patrick Harris did this to Orlando Bloom. <laughs> so like, that's what they would do in the show to embarrass somebody. Oh. <laughs> Orlando Bloom's the perfect mark for that. He really is. (laughs) The date that Hedwig and Tommy are arrested for the incident is shown on the arrest photo as 8-1301, exactly 40 years after the Berlin Wall was erected. Mike Potter, who did Hedwig's hair and makeup for both the stage production and the movie, can be seen in drag in the scene where Tommy picks up Hedwig in the street. They are the second call girl leaning against a wall, and he was given the drag name Renata Options Options by John Cameron Mitchells. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Unlike most musical films, the film's musical segments are only partly filmed on playback. Mitchell didn't want to have to lip sync the lines in the music, so the band oh. playing was recorded in studio, played back on set, and sang live. His vocals oh. were recorded and then mixed later on with the recording of the band making it sound like they were performing live. Oh. And then on the soundtrack, the vocals were mixed to sound as they were recorded in the studio as opposed on the set. So they kind of did it backwards. Ah. Hmm. But like, I, I get that. And like, it yeah. does, he, he performs so well and he can perform live. I would understand being like, no, no, I'm, I'm not syncing this. Right. Well, it's also, you've got to, if, if you, if you have to sync that, you can lose some of the weight and the power that you're going to put into oh, the yeah. performance. The emotion. So like being able to go out there and do it makes a shit ton of sense. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, you can, like a bad syn- lip sync can ruin something so quickly. Right. I'm looking at you, Riverdale. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that also means that the sound engineers had to like really, really be on their fucking game for this movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. The bilge water chains of restaurants that Hedwig and the Angry Inch perform at are decorated with graphics of sinking the Titanic. The original off-Broadway production of Hedwig started in the ballroom of a hotel that gave shelter to the surviving crew of the Titanic in 1912. Hmm. Fucking bilge water. <laughs> Which is clearly just a fucking Bennigan's chain, but it's like, this is it. brilliant. Yes. <laughs> The Offbeat Fragrance Company, Demeter, released a limited edition Hedwig perfume in 2001. Its scent has been described as having notes of powdery cosmetics, motel room, stale air, cigarettes, bathroom air freshener, alcohol, and reminiscent of how clothes would smell after a long night out. Hmm. That does sound like Hedwig. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. That's her in a bottle. (laughs) (laughs) During the Wig in the Box song, when Hedwig picks up the photo of herself as a young boy off a book, the book title can be seen as Edge of Awareness. <laughs> so many details. <laughs> this film is part of the Criterion Collection, spine number 982. And last but not least, John Cameron Mitchell can be heard as one of the reporters mobbing Tommy when he asks Tommy, what's your relationship to Hedwig <laughs> Robinson? <laughs> That's fitting. And that is it. So now we got to come to our ratings. And I think it's only fitting. We have to do how many wigs in a box? Oh, yeah. We have to do wigs in a box. 
and half ratings are allowed so we can do half a wig in a box so this is my movie so i'll go first i'm giving this a 4.5 i love this movie like i just don't like michael pitt (laughs) (laughs) and i wanted more miriam shore i think that's the real the only reason i gotta i gotta take half a wig off it's a Mm -hmm. 4.5 for me Mm -hmm. four wigs and some extensions Sure. There you go. They're a little cheap. They're a little cheap in the back. (laughs) Angel, what would you give this movie? I am not put off by the kid, so I'm going to say five wigs in a box for me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go four and a half. I think there's just little things here and there. We talked about some of it with not having that context for Yitzhak. It does definitely like, Mm -hmm. oh, well, that completely changes that character. Mm -hmm. There's just a few things that he had to leave on the cutting room floor, I think in trying to put the whole thing together for a movie. Right. That the other side of it, though, and the reason, like, I thought about, well, maybe I'll give it a four. It's like, no, because I need to see this movie, like, several more times. <laughs> like, I need Dude. to sit with this a lot more because there's a lot there. Oh, yeah. And a lot there. I was like, this time around, I wasn't laughing, partially because I wasn't in the right mood for that. But I was like, I was seeing the tragedy of it. And I was like, right. I would like to see it again. To find the humor mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and to find the little details that are, that, that are there and all of mm-hmm. that stuff. There's just so much packed into this movie. It's like it, you can't go any less than at least four and a half. Yeah. Yeah. It was so good. It was yeah. so good. <laughs> David gave a musical four and a half. Nice. Yes. That hasn't happened since the sound of music, people. It's very true. Ooh. Ooh, I'm so happy. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Angel, thank you so much for for coming and talking with us. If people want more Angel, where can they find you? I am at Sappho's Angel at Twitter. And I'm also, as mentioned at the beginning, doing To Have and To Hold pod, currently updated to Finding Atlas musical with the subheader of To Have and To Hold, because To Have and To Hold was as it turns out, a very difficult podcast name to find, and there was another one that was called that. So we mixed it up a little bit. I'm there on Twitter, and the Finding Atlas slash To Have and To Hold is also on Twitter, and that's the main place. Awesome. All right. Well, until next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.